Welcome to Workday's third quarter fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. We will conduct a question and answer session towards the end of the call. And with that, I would now hand it over to Mr. Justin Furby, Vice President of Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank, Thank you, you, Operator. Welcome, Welcome to, to Workday's third, third quarter, quarter fiscal 2021 earnings conference call. On the call, we have Anil Bushri and Chano Fernandez, our co-CEOs, Robin Sisko, our President and CFO, Tom Bogan, our Vice Chairman, and Peach Slamp, our Executive Vice President of Product Development. Following prepared remarks, we will take questions. Our press release was issued after close of market and is posted on our website, where this call is being simultaneously webcast. Before we get started, we want to emphasize that some of our statements on this call particularly our guidance, are based on the information we have as of today and include forward-looking statements regarding our financial results, application, customer demand, operations, and other matters. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions, including those related to the impacts of the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic on our business and global economic conditions. Please refer to the press release and the risk factors in documents we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission including our most recent quarterly report on Form 10-Q for additional information on risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that may cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth in such statements. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe are useful as supplemental measures of Workday's performance. These non-GAAP measures should be considered in addition to and not as a substitute for or in isolation from GAAP results. You can find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations with comparable GAAP results, in our earnings press release and on the Investor Relations page of our website. The webcast replay of this call will be available for the next 90 days on our company website under the Investor Relations link. Also, the customers page of our website includes a list of selected customers and is updated monthly. Our fourth quarter quiet period begins on January 16, 2021. Unless otherwise stated, all financial comparisons in this call will be to our results for the comparable period of our fiscal 2020. With that, let me hand it over to Anil. Thank you, Justin, and welcome to Workday's third quarter fiscal 21 earnings conference call. I hope all of you joining us today are in good health and that your families are doing well. We at Workday are encouraged by the recent news regarding vaccines coming to market early next year. We also know we can't lose sight of the fact that we find ourselves in a particularly difficult phase of this pandemic, and the health and safety of all people is most important as we navigate these uncertain times. I'm very proud of our team who continue to support our customers despite the challenges that persist, and remain very optimistic about Workday's post-pandemic future. As we know, business leaders are facing a myriad of different challenges right now, Indeed, we are experiencing a health, economic, and social crisis simultaneously. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world that requires conversation and collaboration. That's why in October, we gathered global changemakers together with our customer community for a virtual event we called Conversations for a Changing World. We heard inspiring talks from the likes of Serena Williams, Reese Witherspoon, David Cameron, and Trevor Noah. And I was personally excited to have my friends and fellow CEOs including Adina Friedman of NASDAQ, Chuck Robbins of Cisco, and Satya Nadella of Microsoft, join our event to share their thoughts on leadership and how they are dealing with the challenges of today. 
We received excellent feedback on the event from our customers and prospects, many of whom mentioned some important takeaways. First, we heard the call that business leaders simply cannot opt out of this moment. Companies have to lean in and be part of the solutions that address the most pressing issues that our society is facing today. Many of the conversations also touched on diversity and inclusion and a growing commitment to reskilling the global workforce. At Workday, we need to continue to be a driving force for the creation of opportunities in this digital economy for everyone, not just a few. And from a technology perspective, there was a common theme underpinning the conversations at our event, a view that a must-have ingredient for organizations going forward is to have a strong digital foundation, and now is the time to accelerate that transition. With this increased focus on digital acceleration, we believe that the flexible foundation and solutions that Workday offer are uniquely suited to the needs of businesses in these times, built natively for the cloud and with people at the center of all of our solutions. With that view as a backdrop, let's jump into our Q3 results. I'm pleased to report that Workday delivered a solid Q3 as organizations increasingly look to the cloud to drive change during these dynamic times. Indeed, our customers are using Workday solutions to digitally accelerate and move their businesses forward, while also serving as our biggest advocates to new customers, helping others realize the power of Workday to navigate their organizations through any environment. To that end, we have another strong quarter for Workday HCM, with notable customer additions in the quarter, including Novartis, DraftKings, CTBC Bank, a Fortune 500 telecommunications company, and Tecnologías Rapi, our first notable win in Mexico since entering that market earlier this year. We also celebrated several notable HCM Go Lives this quarter, including Walmart, who is now live across its 1.7 million employees globally in what we believe is the largest multi-tenant worldwide cloud HCM deployment. Also, our strategic partner Accenture went live with Workday HCM and is now serving its more than half a million global employees. Other notable Q3 Go Lives include UPS and General Electric. Turning to Workday financial management, we saw continued momentum across our applications portfolio, and I'm pleased to say we've reached 1,000 customers that have chosen Workday for core finance. Q3 financial management wins include the State of Washington, University of Central Florida, Fifth Third Bank, The New York Times, and Extendicare. Amongst the many core financials go lives in the quarter, I would like to highlight Bon Secure, Mercy Health, and Progressive Insurance. We once again saw solid demand for our expanding suite of products that support the Office of the CFO and Chief Procurement Officer, including Workday Adaptive Planning, Prism Analytics, and Spend Management. I'm also happy to share that we now have fully integrated Scout RFP into the Workday organization and have rebranded as Workday Strategic Sourcing, which is part of our spend management pillar that is being led by Scout co-founder and CEO, Alex Yakubovich. The team had a record quarter with several big wins at Fortune 500 accounts that included a biopharmaceutical company, a food distributor, and a large grocery store chain with over 100,000. Major update in September which included availability of Workday Talent Marketplace, enabling employers with skills-based talent matching to connect people with relevant work and growth opportunities. We also announced the availability of Workday Accounting Center and more intelligent planning capabilities, both milestones in our continued investments for the Office of the CFO. And lastly, with our focus on value, inclusion, belonging, and equity, or VIBE, we announced VIBE Central and VIBE Index, two solutions providing organizations with critical insights to drive positive change in building a workforce that's as diverse as the world. 
In closing, I would like to thank our employees, customers, and partners who continue to push us forward despite these extremely challenging times. As I look ahead to the other side of this pandemic, my optimism for Workday and our ecosystem couldn't be higher. With that, I'll turn it over to my friend and co-CEO, Chano Fernandez. Over to you, Chano. Thank you, Anil. Before providing my update, I would like to once again thank our field and broader services teams for another solid performance in Q3. I'm pleased with the continued progress that we have made this year, especially in the context of the ongoing uncertainty. I know our workmates are anxious to get back in front of our customers and prospects when it is safe to do so in person. But in the meantime, we are focused on building a maturing pipeline, closing deals, and successfully implementing and supporting customers, all in a fully virtual way. For the second quarter in a row, we saw conversion rates exceed our expectations, as organizations continue to push forward with their HCM and financial digital transformation. We had several strategic wins in the third quarter, including multiple global 2000 HCM wins, a Fortune 500 core fins win at Fifth Third Bank, where Accounting Center once again played an important role, and notable HR fins platform wins in our education and government teams. The medium enterprise also had another strong quarter, and from a geographical perspective, the U.S. and the DAS regions were standouts. We are now a few years into our focus go-to-market push within our install base. I am very pleased with the success it has driven. For the fourth quarter in a row, our install base team generated 50% plus growth in new ACV bookings, driven by strength across products, including core fins, financials and workforce planning, recent analytics, learning, and workday strategic sourcing. Newer products, including Accounting Center, helped workday extend, and people analytics contributed to the performance. And although early, we're excited about their long-term prospects. Our comparisons get tougher starting in Q4, and we don't expect the 50% plus growth to persist going forward. But we still see significant opportunity to drive meaningful growth from our install-based sales team for many years to come. As we head into Q4, we remain cautiously optimistic. We continue to face near-term impacts to the net new business, particularly in certain industries. So we have seen a strength in the store-based team help partially offset this, and we're encouraged by improvements in our pipeline. As we prepare for next year, we are increasing the pace of our sales and marketing investment. We believe now is the time to do so because we see a meaningful opportunity on the other side of COVID, and we're investing now to capitalize on that opportunity. With that, I will turn it over to our president and CFO, Robin Sisko. Over to you, Robin. Thanks, Chano. As Neil and Chano both noted, we executed well in the third quarter, driving strong results, as many companies continue to pursue strategic HR and finance transformations despite the uncertain environment. 
Subscription revenue in the third quarter was $969 million, up 21% year-over-year, with the outperformance driven by favorable linearity and strong retention, which remained over 95% on a gross basis and over 100% on a net basis. Professional services revenue was $137 million, and total revenue was $1.106 billion. Revenue outside the U.S. was $272 million, 25% of the total. Subscription revenue backlog was $8.87 billion at the end of the third quarter, growth of 23% year-over-year. The outperformance was driven by better-than-expected bookings as strength in our installed-based team helped partially offset net new business headwinds. In addition, backlog benefited from a year-over-year increase in contract duration, which we do not expect to persist in Q4. Subscription revenue backlog that will be recognized within the next 24 months was $5.94 billion, growth of 21%. Our non-GAAP operating income for the third quarter was $268 million, resulting in a non-GAAP operating margin of 24%. The margin outperformance was driven by a combination of top-line overachievement, continued COVID-related operating expense savings, and more back-end loaded hiring versus expectations. Q3 operating cash flow was $294 million, growth of 14%. As a reminder, we continue to work with our hardest-hit customers that require more flexible payment terms, which remains a near-term headwind to cash flow and unearned revenue, though it has no impact on our subscription revenue, subscription revenue backlog, or long-term customer economics. We exited the third quarter with $2.9 billion of cash and marketable securities, and have access to an additional $750 million through our unused revolving line of credit. Our total workforce at the end of the quarter was approximately 12,400 employees. We expect our hiring to pick up in the fourth quarter and into FY22 across all areas, but primarily in sales and marketing and R&D as we invest for future growth. We're extremely pleased with our results and execution in Q3 particularly given the challenging environment, and we see significant longer-term opportunity ahead to support our growth aspirations. Now turning to guidance, which, despite our outperformance in Q3, continues to incorporate the near-term uncertainty we see in the market. Our updated FY21 guidance is as follows. We are raising our FY21 subscription revenue estimate to be in the range of $3.773 billion to $3.775 billion, or 22% growth. We expect our Q4 subscription revenue to be $991 to $993 million, 18% growth. We continue to expect professional services revenue to be $525 million in fiscal 21 and $121 million in Q4. For Q4, we expect subscription revenue backlog growth of 14 to 16% as we face a very difficult comparison from a strong Q4 last year. We estimate Q4 non-GAAP operating margin to be approximately 15% as we expect to increase both our pace of hiring and our marketing and brand investments. For the full year, we now expect a non-GAAP operating margin of 19%. The GAAP operating margin is expected to be lower than the non-GAAP margin by approximately 26 percentage points 
in both the fourth quarter and the full year. Our FY21 capital investments guidance remains unchanged at $280 million. We are still in our planning process for FY22, and because the near-term uncertainty remains higher than normal, we plan to provide guidance after we get through our very important Q4. Keep in mind, however, that while we have seen some recent stability in the underlying environment, headwinds due to COVID remain, particularly to net new bookings. And given our subscription model, these headwinds that have impacted us all year will be more fully evident in next year's subscription revenue, weighing on our growth in the near term. From a margin standpoint, this year we have demonstrated the long-term scalability inherent in our model. Investing for growth remains priority number one, however, and in FY22, we expect to increase our pace of hiring across all areas, but with a focus on sales, marketing, and product investments that are specifically targeted at accelerating pipeline growth. In closing, I'm incredibly proud of all our workmates who have remained focused on helping our customers, allowing us to deliver strong results during these turbulent times. With that, I'll turn it over to the operator to begin the Q&A. Operator? At this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary for you to pick up your handset before pressing the star key. One moment while we poll for questions. Our first question comes from the line of Kirk Matern with Evercore ISI. You may proceed with your question. Thanks very much and congratulations on the quarter. Anil and Shano, I was kind of curious, you guys mentioned sort of, you know, the, the bookings, you know, outlook is getting better. You feel good about pipeline build. You know, have conversations started to, to get a little bit more upbeat just about the long-term, meaning, you know, things are definitely still not normal today, but when people are making investments on your technology, they're making, you know, decade-long investments. So I was just kind of curious about how you feel about the confidence in sort of the pipeline build you know, maybe versus three months ago? And, and what do you think needs to happen so that on the net new side, you know, that starts to pick up? Meaning what are people talking to you about? Like, hey, we just need to, you know, is it another quarter, another six months? Just kind of curious what you think needs to happen, you know, to kind of, you know, get back to, to full guns a-blazing on, on that front. Thanks. Well, so, so the, uh, you know, the first, the first comment I make is uh, it really depends on which industry uh, you're, you're talking to. There are a number of companies that uh, have weathered the storm, uh, retailers, uh, tech companies, and as much as possible, they're trying to get back to some level of normal, even though we know we're in the, we're in, frankly, probably in the worst part of the pandemic. It just seems like we figured out how to work in the pandemic. And those, those conversations are indeed uh, very similar to what they were uh, pre-pandemic, and people are very focused on digital acceleration and getting to that, that future state on the platform side. But then we do have customers who are, uh, who are really being impacted by, by COVID, uh, whether they're in hospitality or, um, you know, or transportation. And for them, they're still on the sidelines. And, and I think, uh, you know, there'll be, a, there'll be a few outliers here or there, but I, I think 
the, the best way to look at it is um, the world is trying to get back to normal, but there's a couple of sectors that are having a hard time getting back to normal. And then maybe if I could just add one following. Oh, go ahead, Sean. I'm sorry. I was going to say, would Sean want anything? No, I think that summarizes it well. I think from a pipeline perspective, we, we continue to see improvements relative to the start of the pandemic. And while it's early, we're starting to see some of the newer products uh, having a, a positive impact. Uh, so, so we feel good about what we have in Q4 pipeline and the maturity of, the, of this pipeline. Uh, and it's also quite balanced across uh, products and geographies. But of course, we, we remain cautiously optimistic looking as well at what's going to happen you know, in terms of uh, with this second wave of COVID and how things are, are moving forward. If, if, if I could add one comment, though, uh, Kirk, um, you know, there's just there's been some uh, other companies that have talked about how there's been slowdown in the back office. Uh, I, I don't I don't share that point of view. I think if you're a legacy provider where most of your revenue is coming, I think people, if anything, are saying like, I really got to get off those legacy platforms and. Uh, and so, um, so, so for us, uh, there are there are definitely companies and there and there are product lines for us that I think are actually being accelerated by by the pandemic, where people just want to get off even faster than what they were planning on getting off uh, before. That's helpful. And if I guess just one quick follow up for Shano, just around the sales and hiring comments, are, are there any particular? Your product areas and/or geographies that that you see, you know, could, could you know that there's a big opportunity where it's more of a function of just not having, you know, enough sort of sales bandwidth. I was just wondering if any, maybe one or two, you know, either geographies and/or your product lines come up. I realize you got to expand everywhere, but um, anything that stands out to you on that front? We're we're really making investments, Kirk, in a number of areas within sales and marketing. It's more to help our growth efforts um, around the store base, rest of the world markets, including our ME push in other countries, medium enterprise, some of the vertical markets as well, where we're moving forward with financials, and, and then some of the newer areas like federal government. So it's a, it's a bit across the board, right, but clearly from a global market perspective. And, and we think, uh, as I said on my script, that now is the time to do so. So we can strengthen our pipeline for next year and even the year after um, and basically capitalize on those investments. Okay, great. Thank you all. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. You may proceed with your question. Yes, thank you, and I'll add my uh, congrats. Anil, just on that last comment you made, um, I'm curious – in a year or two when we look back on the response to the pandemic, do you think it will have been a larger tailwind for the HCM side of the business because companies have to adjust to remote workforces and all the reskilling? Or do you, do you see it more on the financial side because of a, a greater need uh, to compress planning cycles and you know close the books Remotely, in other words, where do you think the pain has been more acute? Is it more on the HR side or more on the finance side? You know, I, I think it's going. I think it's going to uh, play out differently for for the different product areas. So for HR, everybody is worried about employee engagement and remote workforces right now, and so you know we continue to see uh, very strong. Uh, continued momentum in HR. On finance, we had a, an excellent quarter selling finance, but I do believe there's some bigger projects that are being held off until post-pandemic. And so uh, 
you know, the, the idea of starting a big uh, project at a Fortune 500 company. Uh, we're getting those, but probably not as much as I think we'll get post-pandemic. And I think, I think when people come out pandemic, they'll say, I want to get rid of every legacy piece of technology I've got. And I've got to move into the, into this world of agile, uh, agile, uh, flexible systems that, uh, that support all different kinds of work environments. And, you know, when, with our financial system, we've been able to close books remotely. I would say the one, the one area that continues to be very strong, uh, on the finance side is, is planning because people are under a lot of pressure to, to, to come up with, uh, new plans on a regular basis. I don't know how many times we've gone through a new planning cycle since the pandemic started, but it's such a fluid, challenging environment that there's a, it's putting a lot of pressure on planning. And I think that that is driving that need for, for financials. And then another area that we're seeing, um, uh, strong, uh, acceptance is actually in, in the, in the area of scout and procurement because people are trying to get a handle on their supply chains and their costs during, you know, during this environment. So, but, but I think core accounting is going to have a pop post-pandemic. Okay, great. And uh, Robin, if I can sneak in just a very quick one, with the understanding that you're you're holding off on the guidance, um, is this this 14 to 16 percent subscription backlog growth guidance for Q4? I, I, arithmetically, I feel like perhaps that's a reasonable starting point on on how we maybe could think about uh, subscription revenue growth in fiscal year 22, just given, you know, that'd be the glide path exiting the year, and it's a pretty big bookings number, right, that that kind of waterfalls into the out year. Uh, I mean, is there anything you would say to kind of dissuade us from, at a high level, thinking about it along those lines? Well, Mark, I, I would just say that, you know, obviously we'll be in a better position to talk about FY22 subscription revenue after we get through Q4, particularly given how uncertain the environment is. The backlog guidance, as I mentioned before, considers our tough compare from Q4 of last year, where we accelerated both net new bookings growth and backlog growth. And we face that tough compare in an environment where we still see net new business headwinds. Uh, so right now we're focused on continuing to execute well through Q4. We'll really have a better view in FY21 on our next earning call, and we'll share that with you then. Great. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of David Haynes with Conaccord. You may proceed with your question. Yeah, hey, uh, thanks, guys. Um, so, Neil, I, I think you hit on this uh, a little bit last question, right, but the, the, the challenge that we're hearing from execs to today is around kind of employee engagement and, and preserving culture, you know, during the pandemic. And, look, I think a lot of that falls in the C-suite, but, but some of it also to, to HR. So I'm, I'm curious if there are opportunities uh, that that or, or considerations that kind of influence how you think about your HCM product roadmap uh, as, as you know work from home or work from anywhere kind of becomes more permanent. Well, you know, um, I, I've said this in the past. If there are trends that are uh, beginning to take hold before a you know an economic downturn, uh, in many cases they tend to get accelerated. And I talk about like telemedicine being one of those where telemedicine had been around for a long time. The pandemic hits and all of a sudden it's exploding. This idea of a talent marketplace, uh, first internal and then external is one of those areas for us where if you're in a low hire mode as a company, you're trying to get work done. You're really trying to understand the skills you have amongst the employees. What skills do they need to add uh, with reskilling and, and, and learning? 
and uh, and how can you source that work the, that work that needs to get done from your from your existing employee base? So this idea of a talent marketplace has definitely gained traction, and the idea of this gig worker uh, project-based work, I think, is getting traction faster because of um, because of the environment. And I throw uh, I throw uh, rescaling into that as well. The other the other piece is is much is much deeper understanding of trying to get a sense of how employees are feeling about their work environment. We all have heard mental health is an issue in, in the workforce today, uh, given the remote work. And so within PRISM and within uh, our, our uh, people analytics, we, we can do sentiment analysis and get a sense of, um, you know, with the polling questions that we do out of our HR system, get a sense of um, how people are doing. And I think you, you'll see more investment from us in a, in a fairly significant way in employee engagement to, to really understand how we're doing um, as you know, company by company, how we're doing uh, or how they're doing uh, rel relative to uh, engaging their employees in a positive way. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. if I were to add one last thing, is the big investment we're making in uh, in our in sharing our vibe, uh, our vibe work, uh, value value inclusion, belonging, and equity, creating an index, uh, helping companies get a handle on their diversity and how how they can be better. And that definitely has been accelerated by, um, you know, by the environment we live in. So, quite, actually, quite a few changes as a, as a result yeah. of, of this environment. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Um, and if I could ask maybe one quick follow-up for, for Chano, any way to frame kind of what percent of, of new customer relationships land outside of core HR today, and, and maybe you know how that compares to say you know two years ago or something when the product portfolio was narrower. I mean, clearly there is a David, there is a higher percentage landing out there today, and that trend, if anything, is accelerating both within net new customers and as well within our install based customers. For some of those that were initially HCM customers, are moving more to the financials overall, and that is clearly around core accounting systems or core financials, where we announced we had hit a thousand customers. But I think even most important as well that many of those are, are live and, and happy. And, and definitely we have now many more levers to penetrate the office of the CFO with planning and procurement. And, and those are really helping customers to navigate through change in these times. Uh, so we've been talking about how many more plannings and times, and it was referring even our sales customers are doing today. So clearly all those products are, are giving us a, a, you know, a bigger edge and, and, and you know, there are more landing in the area and on the office of the CFO than there were before, because again, our, our portfolio is, is broader, and certainly the interest is as well on the customers of moving off the legacy system to even do simple things like closing their books remotely and having flexible and agile cloud systems that help them navigate through this time has significantly increased. Um, and as we said before, and what I see on the pipeline, we remain cautiously optimistic that there is gonna be a accelerant post-COVID onto that trend that we're seeing right now. Yeah, okay, great. Uh, thanks for taking my questions. Our next question comes from the line of Alex Sucken with RBC. You may proceed with your question. Hey, guys, thanks for taking the question. Um, maybe just uh, the first one uh, for, for you, Anil, and, and Chano. If, if clearly the install-based selling uh, is is inflecting this year, 50% growth is, is quite – uh, quite an achievement. I guess, what, where are we in that journey in terms of the, uh, as we look to Q4 and beyond, how much room left is there 
uh, in terms of install-based monetization. And if we think longer term, uh, maybe, Anil, like when does that new ACV headwind start to turn? Uh, I know, you know, I'm not asking you to predict the, uh, the course of the pandemic, obviously, but just when you, is it as easy as when you start comping, um, you know, some of the, the, the COVID impacted quarters next year, or, or do you see something changing before then? You know, I'll address the product, the product component. Uh, I hope, I hope the idea of install based selling just continues to get stronger and stronger because we're adding more and more SKUs to the portfolio that we can go back to our customers. They're happy. They, they made a bet on Workday. There are more things we can do for them. And so you see it in the uh, additional SKUs we're bringing to market, the most recent one being uh, the talent marketplace, but also the Workday Accounting Center. So we're constantly coming with SKUs to, to uh, offer up to our install base. In terms of the sales motion and, and how that works, I'll, I'll leave that to Chano. But, but, you, but you, should think of, you shouldn't think of the product line as static. You should think of the product line as, as ever-growing because there still is a lot of opportunity in HR for new modules, and there's tons of opportunity in finance for new modules. Yeah, I completely agree with Anil, Alex, and hope you're doing well. I mean, there are many, many new solutions that uh, that we've brought to market lately. I mean, even, of course, we've been talking workday and strategic sourcing, but if you think even products like learning or prison analytics or workforce planning, they're still far away in terms of uh, the penetration ratios that we see in other areas, like, uh, like clearly payroll or recruiting or some of our more penetrated products these days. And we're adding new products like help or people analytics or where they can stand. So we had a we had a great opportunity going forward there. In terms of how do we see it in, on the net new side, I mean clearly, clearly, uh, you know, of course next year and, and especially H1 will have uh, certainly better comps and easier comps than what has happened this year. Certainly, uh, you know, we'll see that uh, you know some of the lockdowns hopefully going away will help us out, especially as well in the rest of the world. Um, and obviously, you know, uh, some of these new products, even to penetrate uh, new customers with some of uh, basically different levers that we do have today, not just with core HR or core financials. Um, definitely, last but not least, if we, you know, some of the distress or more mostly hit verticals today, that hopefully we have a, a better, um, there will be a better place, uh, clearly, as, as we get into a world where there is, uh, you know, a little bit more the outside of the of the vaccine and a better state overall, right? So those verticals will, will be opening up. Um, and then obviously some of the new markets that we're opening, right, like uh, like federal, and so we'll be contributing. So, yeah, so there are there are a number of levers, I would say, uh, you know, the rest of the world, as always, some of uh, definitely more and more SKUs, uh, some of the new industries, or let's say industries in terms being new in terms of that they not be much at play during the pandemic, but will be opening again, hopefully during the course of next year. Makes sense. And then maybe just a quick one for, for Robin. Um, if you, you talk about uh, the kind of investing for growth uh, strategy, which, which makes a lot of sense given all the things that Shannon just mentioned. But I guess from a – I know we're not guiding, but if you look at the margin expansion this year, clearly I don't think anybody's expecting anything close to that for next year. But is, is the guidance or, or, or the – the color that you're providing, is it fair to assume kind of a flat margin trajectory, uh, you know, a dip in margins, or, or, or just a, a much smaller expansion? 
Yeah, so, you know, as you said, Alex, investing for growth remains our top priority. And we have a lot of opportunities ahead that we're excited about. And, um, you know, we've been talking about how we're going to pick up the pace of investments in Q4 and through next year. And we, when you think about our 19% non-GAAP margin guidance for this year, it, that's almost 600 basis point improvement over FY20. And under normal circumstances, that would take two to three years for us to have that kind of margin expansion. But obviously, this has been a very unique year. So we still need to get through Q4 and finalize our plan for next year before we have a better view. But certainly, you can expect our pace of hiring to pick up in FY22. Some of the COVID benefits that we saw this year likely to subside, particularly in areas like travel and events. And given all that, it'd be reasonable to see our margins next year coming off of this year's levels. Um, you can see that investment starting to have an impact when you consider our Q4 margin guidance. And then the last thing to keep in mind is that as we increase the pace of investment, you'll see an immediate impact on our expenses, while the resulting impact to revenue from those investments are going to take a little longer. Understood. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope you guys are all staying safe and well. Our next question comes from the line of Mark Mosler with Bernstein Research. You may proceed with your question. Thank you, and congratulations on a good quarter. Um, I know it's a lot of hard work went into it. Um, so two questions, if you don't mind. Um, Chano, um, with the worldwide lockdown continuing, how do you think about driving new deal generation? Do we need to see a return to travel and conferences to fill the top of the funnel? What do you replace the in-person meeting and conferences, or is it just hiring more bodies and more advertising? I mean, how's the business model from a sales point of view changing? And then a follow-up. Yeah, no, it's a great question. I, I don't, I don't, you know, if, if I look at the pipeline, and again, remaining cautiously optimistic, we had not only a good Q3 in terms of execution, we had a very good Q3 in terms of pipeline creation, right? We're kind of, um, again, shooting for kind of same dynamics into Q4, especially the focus around the pipeline. And we're putting or we're doing these investments, uh, you know, around sales and marketing that they're not only more, more feet on the street. Clearly, there is more feet on the street that we're planning. On some areas, we see opportunity for growth. But obviously, it's also as well around marketing investments and, and branding and so on and so forth to support us in terms of our pipeline and demand generation efforts, especially next year and, as I say, the year after, right? Um, again, if I look at that trend, uh, when I look at pipeline creation, of course, you have new customers there contributing, and you have, of course, let's say, new products or SKUs onto the, the install base, both, right? Um, yep. If I look at that trend, I would say that the team has done a great hey, job. I just you a the, 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 the team has done a great job on managing it virtually, up to this point, and we got a lot of learnings. And, and clearly, if you would ask me, the team would be anxious, and I would be anxious to get in front of customers uh, because I think that that plays better to what we do. But uh, but I think we, you know, we 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 are thriving very nicely through the model, and we're certainly learning on doing better and more efficiently. Uh, so again, better to be in a pre-COVID world. Though I, if you ask me, I don't think we're going to ever go back to similar levels of travel. It's going to be potentially more 30 to 50% less that people traveled before. Uh, but, uh, but still, that, that, would be, that would be better than do it all fully remotely. But, uh, but pipeline creation, it's, uh, it's been, it has had a good performance on this environment, Mark. Perfect. Really helpful. Um, question, we've focused more on deals um, often, but wanted to ask about the process of driving customers to go live. 
How has the lockdown changed the complexity or the time it takes to drive customers to a live condition? Yeah, well, I, I would like to give a big shout out to Emily McEvely and, and the team within services because they've, they've done a fantastic job with over 190 customers going live this quarter. But I think, you know, some of those are significantly relevant, right? So when you think Walmart, 1.7 million employees going live during this period, or Accenture with over 500,000 employees, or you think of UPS or, or GE, or you think progressive insurance or, or financials, or financials, you know, core finances, all going live during this period, that are, those are no minor accomplishments, right? So I think uh, that is a testament to the good work of, uh, you know, the services team of bringing them live fully remotely, and we were doing pre-pandemic 80%, and secondly, it's a testament to our technology and the possibility to do that through, you know, a really flexible and, and with great performance and scalability technology. So, and, and all those are happy, to be honest, so that, uh, that's, uh, that's a great place to be. Good. Perfect. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Keith Weiss with Morgan Stanley. You may proceed with your question. Hi, this is Josh Barron for Keith. Uh, with with all of the um, conversation around pipeline and, and building pipeline and, and optimism there, um, I guess I, I'm wondering um, with the strength in results, how should we think about the the current pipeline today versus how it uh, how it compared to um, pre-COVID? Well, uh, I I think. It, Thank you, Josh, for your question. This is Chana speaking. If the question is how we are already at pre-COVID levels, we are not. Uh, we love to be there, uh, but we are not yet at the, at the pre-COVID levels. Of course, we, you know, let's say that we, we are getting closer, but I think what you should think is very cautiously optimizing from our point of view in terms of what we're seeing on demand generation and pipeline creation to help us to deliver our growth uh, or resources starting in Q4 and looking forward. Uh, but then, obviously, there is the second wave as well in front of us that is creating more near-term uncertainty for which we do not know yet uh, what is going to be the impact or, or how long it's going to take, uh, basically, for all of us to get on the other side, right? So I, I guess there is this situation where we would like to know more as well in terms of, um, you know, how is the environment going to be evolving, recognizing that we've seen gradual improvement at least for our business and what we deliver on stabilization, and certainly we're in a much better place right now than we were at the beginning of the pandemic back in March, April timeframe. Great. Um, and I'm just curious if, if you have any insights into um, you know, what you're seeing internationally as there's different, uh, different COVID waves and lockdown government responses um, in different countries. Is there any difference in, um, you know, in, in buying behavior um, that you're seeing in different geographic locations. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Josh. No, we, we still see a big opportunity ahead of, of us in the rest of the world markets, and we're certainly optimistic around the opportunity. Um, and, and, you know, and that's why we're making a big part of our investments that we're making right now and planning to make, uh, because we, you know, the contribution of the, the international revenue mix uh, continues to grow higher and we see continuing to grow in higher over the medium and long term, right? Um, clearly, there are countries that have been going and suffering a lockdown, and that has had some impact and some headwind in terms of the net new business, mainly, and of course, you know, our install base is not yet as, uh, as 
large as it is in the U.S. Uh, and I think we were amazingly prepared to have a fantastic year in international ahead of the pandemic. Uh, the leadership is still there and is really thriving in terms of this pipeline creation and executing, and we're really excited again on well as we're getting onto the other end, and some of those markets are opening in terms of being a significant growth contributor to our journey forward. Okay, our next question comes from the line of Carl Kirstead with UBS. You may proceed with your question. Uh, thank you. I've, I've got two for Robin. <clears throat> Robin, if you don't mind, can we go back to the uh, 4Q subscription backlog guidance of 14 to 16? So that's that's a 7 to 9 point uh, decel from 3Q, but it's actually only a one point tougher compare. So maybe you could elaborate on the compare comment you made. Maybe you meant on the, uh, the net new uh, ACV front. And then also... Is there any duration compression that might uh, be impacting that 4Q number? And if not, just, just generally whether this reflects a, a demand backdrop that feels just incrementally tougher perhaps than what Workday saw in uh, 2Q and 3Q. Thanks. Yeah, so backlog was certainly important forward-looking metric. is not a precise gauge, as you know. It's impacted by things like duration, which maybe I'll go to your second question now. We did see increased duration in Q3 that we do not expect to repeat in Q4, so that's part of it. Also, the timing of renewals have an impact which can move around, um, and so those are things that just to keep into account when you're looking at our guide. You know, we have seen some stability in the environment over the past couple of quarters, which along with the strong execution has helped drive solid backlog results the past few quarters, but the guide does consider this tough compare, and when we look at last Q4, we did accelerate net new bookings and reaccelerate the backlog growth. And so that's the tough compare that we're facing in an environment that remains very, very uncertain. And so we've taken all of that into account in our guide and we'll obviously um, be able to tell you more next quarter, but you know, Q4 is a big quarter for us and we're right now focused on executing against that quarter. Okay, that's helpful, Robin. Thanks for unpacking that a little bit. And then my second question is just on the go lives that uh, Anil, uh, commented on earlier, uh, kind of an amazing go-live quarter for Workday, actually. If I caught them all, uh, Walmart, Accenture, UPS, GE, that's, that's a lot of very large go-lives. Did, did any of those, or collectively, did they trigger any you know, milestones that might have uh, impacted the 3Q numbers in any way? Thank you. I, I don't know if they triggered any milestones in terms of the number. Um, I'll leave that to, to you, Robin. Uh, you know, again, as, as Chano mentioned, uh, just uh, very appreciative and proud of Emily and her team, and our and I'd say our business partners as well, uh, who figured out how to get these large customers live um, during during this pandemic. And uh, you know, one of those going live in a quarter would be terrific. Having four of them go live at the uh, in, in the same in the same time frame is really really remarkable for. Uh, from a services perspective, and uh, and as far as I know, they're all still very happy. Yeah, and maybe I'll just add that you know, as as you know, most of our implementations are run by our partners and don't result in professional services revenue to Workday. So you know, we do prime about 20% of them. And while we do have some revenue that can get driven by milestone on fixed fee contracts, there really wasn't anything to call out in the quarter in terms of you know big milestones net driving revenue. Got it. Okay. Thanks very much. 
Our next question comes from the line of Brad Zelnick with Credit Suisse. You may proceed with your question. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking my questions. Uh, firstly, you mentioned Workday Accounting Center a few times, which we've been hearing about more recently from the field. Can you help us understand what exactly is it? How do you see it impacting your competitive positioning? And perhaps what is it replacing and why? Chung, you want to take why, that why one on? Why don't you take that one? Or well, Pete, yeah, Pete, why don't you take it on? And then maybe uh, uh, Chano just talk about where, where we're competing. Yeah, so Accounting Center has been really important for us uh, in being able to open up certain verticals, especially like the financial services vertical for financials. And, and you did hear us earlier talk about how it uh, helped us in the fifth third uh, bank win this quarter and a few of the previous um, bank wins that we've had in previous quarters. So to answer your question, what is it? Accounting Center is a way for our customers to bring in all of their operational data and bring it into Workday and, uh, and secure it then uh, do accounting on it and have that accounting roll up into their GL. So if you were, for instance, uh, in the insurance industry and you wanted to uh, take a look at something that is happening uh, at the GL level, but you want to roll all the way back and drill back to the individual policies and claims, for instance, you'd be able to do that right inside of Workday. It's replacing a lot of data management infrastructure that would otherwise have to be managed by the CFO and the CIO. And, uh, and you know, our, our customers are finding this value of having it in a single system and being able to do all the analysis and get their answers right there uh, in front of them. Cool. Thank you very much for that. Maybe if I could just ask a, a follow-up of Chano, uh, another pipeline question. And I appreciate your, your comments, which sound very encouraging, but maybe – just to dig a little bit deeper, as you analyze and scrub the pipeline and you look at opportunities that are pushing out versus maybe shrinking in size but still closing versus competitive losses, uh, sorry to bring those up, but, but if, you if you break it down into various stages and consider things like time to close and, and forecast accuracy and how that's all changing, what are some of the more detailed takeaways that you can share that tell the story of what's actually happening in the field and in the environment right now and ultimately support your confidence? On this environment, and thank you for the question, Brad. On this environment, the most tricky, uh, let's say, impact that we can see is kind of push opportunities more than any other thing, you know, a few quarters ahead. And that, of course, comes uh, because of the uncertainty of the environment and, and basically some customers, mainly new customers in some industries, especially the hardest hit industries, there is just uh, more uncertainty and, and, and you know, they are more uh, basically balancing out which are the projects that they should be starting, if any at all, and which ones the ones that are not, right? So I would say that the highest impact there uh, potentially is, uh, is, you know, potential push opportunities going farther into a few quarters, more than, more than any other change, right? We haven't seen any changes in terms of, you know, competitive um, kind of uh, momentum or over there. Uh, thank you for bringing it up. Uh, but that's the one that, of course, uh, you know, is more depending on, on this uncertain environment than any other, right? So we remember it focus on the clearly on the pipeline creation efforts and, and maturing, and we have had great conversion rates and ratios on these last two quarters, Q2 and Q3. But when we look forward, uh, and again, we are looking optimistic to Q4, we've got to be respectful 
in terms of, you know, how is the world, this uncertainty and this second wave going to be evolving? Thank you so much for the caller and for taking the questions. We will now be taking two more questions. Please limit yourself to one question. Thank you. Our next question comes to the line of Brent Phil with Jeffries. You may proceed with your question. Robin, not to dwell on the Q4 backlog guide, but I don't think you've ever seen an 800-point decel uh, at midpoint. So I think everyone's just asking, you know, did something happen in Q3 where some of these deals got pulled into the backlog from Q4 or – we realize, obviously, the environment, but I think everyone's just trying to reconcile this, and I, I think it, it, we haven't seen it in the model in the past. Yeah, so, you know, no, nothing happened to the backlog. There, I'm sorry, the pipeline in Q4 still looks good. Um, we're, we continue to execute well. When you look at the combination of duration, which, you know, helped us in Q3 and Q2, um, very, very tough compare from last year in pre-COVID days and all the uncertainty that we're seeing and the law of large numbers. Uh, this is just our best view right now, Brent. And so, you know, it's obviously our biggest quarter of the year. Uh, a lot of uncertainty still out there, even though we have seen things stabilize. And so we're just focused on execution. This is the best that, that we have so far in terms of our view and the backlog. And we'll obviously update you next quarter. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Daniel Jester with City. You may proceed with your question. Great. Uh, good afternoon. Thanks for squeezing me in. Um, just maybe a bigger picture question on, on M&A. You know, you, Scout has obviously done well. Adaptive has done well over time. Now that you've incorporated those businesses, how does that change how you think about inorganic activity, especially given the comments on the call today about sort of ramping investments um, into next year? Thanks. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if it changes our view. I think it just gives us confidence that if we find the right, the right kind of company that is a, a good fit culturally, that is an innovative growth company, and that's complementary from a technology perspective, not overlapping, that, uh, you know, that, that is uh, something that we now feel very comfortable. Um, you know, Tom Bogan has really led that. Uh, that, that effort, uh, that we feel comfortable we can integrate those companies into Workday, but also with the commitment that over time we will harmonize the technologies so, so that we don't become, a, um, you know, a Frankenstein like some of our legacy competitors have become. Uh, it's really important that we can maintain that, uh, that unified view uh, across our applications, and so that, that's um, – and that, that's key to driving it. So I, I think you'll see more from us for sure coming down the pike. But I also think they're going to fit the they're going to fit the adaptive and scout models. It's not going to be a I don't see us doing a big acquisition that is overlapping technology wise. Um, I think that just that actually slows us down. Great, appreciate the color. Best of luck in the fourth quarter. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation on today's conference. This will conclude Workday's third quarter fiscal year 2021 earnings conference call. Thank you again for joining us.